Nine for the invitation, 889. I'd like to welcome everybody here this morning. It's good to be back. We've been traveling a lot, and thank you all for indulging us, our, our uh, retirement travels. This year probably is going to do us in. We're probably going to have traveled as much as we can travel, but we've enjoyed it. But it's always good to be home and to be worshiping with you. We've got a really good crowd. We appreciate you being here. We have visitors with us. Thank you for being here. And we've got people listening uh, over YouTube and Zoom. Thank you all for being here. This is a topic that I don't, I don't want to become known as the money guy, but it's a topic that I think is important, and so I've spoken on this topic several times. As with my last lesson, I'm not going to put up a picture of me with hair and without hair, but we've all changed since the last time I gave it. I've changed, you've changed, your state in life has changed, and I always think it's good to... Uh, review these things because as we change our outlook on life changes and our needs and what we get out of a sermon changes so i want to talk about money you know i put dollar bills up there and coins uh if i do this in 10 years there may not be dollar bills and coins i'm not talking about the greenbacks or the quarters or nickels and dimes but the thing that we work for and the thing that we spend probably of all the things that we do we interact with money more than anything I mean, if we want electricity and we want to drive our car, if we want to live in a house, if we have rent to pay, it's so much a part of our lives that sometimes we don't even think about it. And my goal this morning, there's several things. One's not to tell you you're spending your money wrong and it's a sin. There's a lot of ways to spend money. There's a lot of ways to do it that are different from everybody else's. What I want to do is give you biblical principles to help money be something that you take care of and it doesn't take care of you. Because if you leave it alone, you'll find yourself in a pickle. And probably all of us have found ourselves in a pickle at some point in time. My goal is to help you avoid that. I want to give you some examples to help you recognize the consequences of decisions. Sometimes they're short-term consequences, sometimes they're really long-term consequences. But if you can recognize those things ahead of time, it will help avoid some things, some things you don't want to have to go through. I want to help you be mindful of your spending. It's easy, and probably the more electronic and the less we actually handle bills, it's a lot easier to just spend things because guess what? We've got automatic subscriptions to Netflix and all the services there are. We've got things that just build our credit card or build our checking account. We pull out our phone and touch something to pay. It's easy just to do that over and over without really thinking about how we spend our money. And the Bible talks a lot about paying attention to how we spend our money. If we do it right, it can be a blessing to us. It can be a blessing to the church. It can be honoring to God. If we do it wrong, it can create a whole lot of havoc. And so, ultimately, it's to help us avoid complications in life. I'll probably say this more than once, but I've been old now, and I've been young. That's different than people that are young. You've never been old before. So you don't know 
all mistakes I made when I was young, or all of us, a lot of us older people, we all went through different things that we learned from, hopefully. And one of my goals is to help you avoid complications. Not to call you out for doing something crazy or that sort of thing. And I think that's probably would speak to the spirit of all the elders. It's not about, there's this mindset, well, well I'm going to talk to the elders and then somebody's going to lash me with something or something like that. We get this, that somehow we're going to be corrected. But, but our goal, my goal particularly today, but always, is to help you avoid complications in life. There's a lot of them to be had. And this is just one of them. So let's talk about a few things. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 says, My son, hear the instruction of your father. Don't forsake the law of your mother. For they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Most of us learn how to spend money by watching our parents. That's what we're used to. That's what we see. That's how things just handle. We don't even know we're learning it probably most of the time. That's just how it is. And hopefully, if you've got godly parents or parents that, that uh, are mindful of how they do things, they've helped you understand how to spend money because guess what? They've made mistakes. <laughs> they don't want you to repeat those. They've had some successes. They want you to do those things. But when you're able to put those together... Like many other things that parents teach their kids, it honors them. And it's, as it says here, it's, it's a grace form. It's something that's really good to look at. It's nice to see. The other thing about money, and this, you know, this is a very big concept. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, saith the Lord in Isaiah 55. We read that a lot. And as much as ever, maybe more so, the way that we naturally learn, if we just follow our instincts, if we follow our neighbors, if we just do what comes natural with our money, it's going to be different from the Lord's ways. God speaks about it, and He wants us to follow His principles, His guidelines, and it takes effort to do that. Learning and discipline. Another overriding concept, and I read this verse a lot because I think it's really important. It's not a matter of don't look around you and see what the norm is, but it's really important that you don't base everything about you on the people around you. Everybody's in a different situation. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You know, different people have different jobs, they have different backgrounds, they have different amounts of money, they have different wants and needs. To look at somebody and say, I want what they have, or look at how good they have it, or look how bad they have it, that's really not my goal. Our, my goal is for each of us in whatever state we're in to look at ourselves, to apply godly principles, biblical principles, to the idea of money. And throughout the Bible, you can see this concept. God uses people that have a lot of money and he uses people that had no money. And that's just as true today as it is then. My idea is not to demonize those that are rich, not to look down on those that don't have as much money, or to exalt either one just because of what they have. The Bible talks about a person's character and how they use the tools and the gifts that God's given them. And that's, that's what I want to encourage today. We're familiar with Solomon, 1 Kings 10 and 23. 
So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth for riches and wisdom. We know that Solomon did a lot of great things because he was blessed with riches. Ultimately, he built the, the temple, something that, that Israel had wanted for hundreds and thousands of years. And he was known throughout the world as being wise, but not just wise, but as being one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest kings that, that ever ruled over Israel. And God used him for a lot of good things. We read the book of Proverbs, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, and there's advice, there's things in there that he learned, that he teaches us that we are still just as applicable today as they were then. Lazarus was on the other end of the scale. Luke 16 and 25, Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted and you are tormented. You know, there's not a lot said about Lazarus, but we know that he was a beggar, that he had no money, and all he asked was the crumbs that fell from the rich guy's table. And because of him, we can learn a lot about how we're to put money in context. And so it really doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. It matters how you use it and how you approach it. And the Bible's full of examples for, of that. The concept that's hard for us all to... It's hard for me, and I'll, I'll say y'all, but I really mean me, is to think about the idea of stewardship. Some of us just got off of a cruise, and you have a room steward. That's not a word that we use very often, except on a cruise ship, and then you still go, what's a steward? And we, we talk about that from time to time, but really a steward is a caretaker. And it's hard for us to get in our minds that the stuff that I've saved for, I've worked for, been given to me, is not mine. <laughs> It's mine. We get that in our heads no matter how we try to deal with it. And the Bible really teaches us the opposite of that, that the stuff that we own, the stuff that we have has been given, we've been blessed with, however we get it, is not really ours. We're stewards. We're caretakers. It's in our control, and we're supposed to take it and do something good with it and use it. David talked about it in Psalms 24 and 1. He said, the earth is the Lord's, in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. It's, it's easy to read that and to go, you know, God owns everything. He controls it all. He's made it all. And isn't that good? And, and it is. But what's harder for us, me, to remember on a regular basis is, at a very personal level, what I've acquired what I, in my mind, have earned or worked for or saved for, really is His. And that's true not just of my money, but of everything. And when we get that mindset, it kind of gets us in the right context to understand money and service and a whole lot of other things. Because the earth is the Lord's. Everything is His. And it, it should influence and guide the way that we think and the way that we spend our money and time. We're going to talk about the idea of planning for quite a bit because the Bible speaks a lot about planning, and planning is very important. Um, not, in a, not in a prideful way. We've seen scriptures where the rich farmer was prideful in the way that he planned. But ultimately, there are things in life that happen that if they haven't happened yet, with reasonable certainty, you can say they're going to happen. Emergency expenses are going to come up. The car is going to break down. The washing machine is going to go out. 
uh, there's going to be a storm that blows the roof off of the house. There's going to be an unexpected medical expense. All those things, uh, hope that that doesn't happen is not a very good strategy. <laughs> because hope goes a long ways, but guess what? When they happen, if you want a car, you still got to fix the car. And if you want a washing machine, you still got to buy a new washing machine. And so, here's what the Bible in general says. Where there's no counsel, the people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. The whole idea of counselors and mentors and the old teaching the young, you know, that's a, a broad, broad subject. And ultimately, I think what he's talking about is it takes a joint effort of a lot of people, parents and kids, older members and younger members, older members with older members and younger members with younger members. All of these things can provide us a context, but, but ultimately it falls back on the individual, the one that's needing to improve or learn, to be a learner. To just plod through life and never look up and see what's going on or ask people anything. That doesn't really teach us much. Or to be so prideful about what I know and I'm going to show everybody how much I know and what I can do, that doesn't help out because then... You're going to learn things the hard way. And, you know, we've all learned lessons the hard way. But it's a whole lot better to learn the easy way. There's enough hard lessons you can't avoid. <laughs> that all the ones you can avoid, it's a good thing to do. So the idea of advice and counseling is a great concept. Don't discount it and don't be too afraid to ask. And, and here's what, again, I've been old and I've been young. And I've heard it said and not probably said it myself. Well, it's the old people's job to come tell me how to do it. If, if they would have done it, I would have avoided it. And ultimately, there's got to be a spirit of teaching and not condemnation and explaining things and t teaching people to think and not expecting them to do it like I do it necessarily. But ultimately, the person that wants advice has got to be able to ask for it. I didn't do that very good when I was young. I, was, I sat around and said, well, why didn't they come tell me? It's their job to come tell me. And now I've been old, and I've been on the other side of that. Not very many old people are going to come tell you how to run your life. And I'll speak for my own kids, because that's what I know, and, and try to avoid that, because when you tell an adult how to run their life and stick your nose in where it may or may not be wanted, it's generally not received very well. The idea of having a good relationship with each other and asking for it, it, the person that asks for it knows what they need. And it opens up conversations where things can happen. So as you plan, here are things to plan for. And I'm talking, the reason I do these sermons from time to time, not a one time and wait 20 years, is because now there are kids that are 18, 19, 20, that guess what? They're pretty close to being on their own or on their own. And five years ago when they were 13, these things didn't even cross their mind. <laughs> Maybe they did, but for the most part, once you're in the heat of the battle, things come to your mind. But you know what? Five years ago, I wasn't retired. And things were different to me too. And all of us find ourselves somewhere in that continuum of change. But as you're young... What I expected and maybe what you expected is my, I lived in my parents' house, as most of you did, and I expected 
when I left my parents' house that I could move in and be just like my parents because that's what I was used to. And you know what I failed to realize is for 25 years, 20 years, my parents worked and saved and earned and did without this so they could get that to get to the position I was in. They didn't just wake up one day without extra work and extra training and extra this and extra that and have what they had. Parents, it's really important for you to teach your kids that, guess what? They can't live, you can't live in my basement till you're 25 or 30 and play video games and expect to have what I have. <laughs> when we talked about God saying my ways are not your ways or my thoughts your thoughts, you can't turn on the news without there being a statement, some form or fashion saying, well, it's so expensive to live now that generation XYZ, whatever you want to name them, they can't afford to live on their own and therefore they've got to live with their parents and not have a job. And we say, well, that'll never happen in the church because they just, kids will just learn it and see that that's not how it works. But, but we get influenced and kids get influenced. And so parents, it's really important that you teach kids at some level. I'm not saying at 12 years old, they need to know everything. But as they age, they need to understand what it costs to live. You know, when I was 13, things just appeared. Groceries were there. The electricity worked. The air conditioner worked. All that stuff. And I'm afraid there's a lot of kids, and we're not an exception, that just think it happens. And therefore, they don't make any plans. Because guess what? If you don't have any plans or training or have a direction or a goal in life, you'll turn around one day and you'll be 50 and have nothing and still be wondering why mom and dad aren't taking care of you. And that's a sad state because ultimately the Bible tells us to work. So what's it cost to live? A house costs something, cars, food. They don't all just magically appear. And, and my goal is not to strike fear in people. It's not to pick your profession. There's a lot of good professions. As most of you know, I went to college, a lot of college. <laughs> and I'm not an advocate necessarily that college is the way to go. There's, there's good things about that. There's bad things about it. There's, there's trades that make just as much money. There's a, there's a, a wide variety of ways to figure out what it, to, to make money for what it costs to live. The idea is that parents, young teenagers, older teenagers, think about that. Put effort into that. Don't just plod through life or your education, however you get it, and go, oh, I'm ready to make $75,000 a year. Somebody give me a job. Without having training or preparation for that. The days of that, if there ever were such days, are over. That doesn't happen. It's going to take effort, training and effort. You know, where do you want to live? It's not enough to say, I want to live somewhere. You've got to have a way to support yourself. How are you going to do that? Think about that. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and 28. And remember, he was talking to Ephesians, and not every Christian was a born into the church, as we say, middle class, as most of us are and had a relatively nice life, never really lacked for a lot of things. He was talking to people that, at one point in time, they were thieves, obviously, because he's addressing that. They didn't have anything that were maybe destitute. He says, let him 
who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. As we plan, ultimately our, our goal is not to pile up stuff for ourselves. It's not to have better stuff than our neighbors or better stuff than our parents or just as good a stuff as our parents. Ultimately, if we're thinking about it right, it's to be of service to other people. That's what he told thieves. How much more does he expect it out of us that didn't have to overcome being a thief? We were all raised middle class or for the most part. We need to have in our mind that God wants us to be generous. And that leads to giving. And we've said over and over from the pulpit how generous the congregation is. And that's, that's true. This isn't the idea of this, thinking about this is not to say, well, everybody open up and give some more. Because anytime there's ever a need, everybody's over and abundant. It's really on an individual basis for us to think about how do we think about money in our value system. And in the way that we spend our money on an everyday basis, how do we really think about it? What Paul said in, first, in 2 Corinthians here, he says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. What you'll notice in nearly all this readings we read about money it never talks about amounts that the amount we do is what's important he really talks about our heart and grudging and bountifully aren't words we really use but really he wants someone who's generous not just with money but with time because sometimes it's a trade-out right sometimes you've got more time and less money but he wants us to be generous with what we have it's easy to get sucked up in our own Health, tiredness, age, job. You know, you think as you uh, age that, well, I don't have to worry about a job anymore, so now I've got more time. Well, guess what? Now you're sick all the time and old and got doctor's appointments and don't feel as good as you used to. And, and really what it is, it's a mindset. What I've learned is that busy and generous people are busy and generous when they're young. And they're generous when they're old. Guess what? If you're stingy, and stingy with your time when you're young, guess what you'll be when you're old, most generally. And so it's important as we grow up, children, young families, that we practice and get in our minds that God wants us to be generous with our money, with our time. The concept is repeated over and over. There's one that scatters, yet increases more. It goes against natural instinct that I can give my money away and I'm going to have more. But he says that. And there's one that withholds what is right, stingy even to the point of not paying what they owe people, and they end up poor. <laughs> you know, that's the opposite of what the world would teach us, that somehow we need to be stingy. And if we give our money away, that it's somehow we're going to be taken advantage of. You know, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But ultimately, the principle is be generous. Scatter. Don't be stingy. And that's not natural. That's something we've got to teach. It's something, parents, you need to practice and model for your kids. Kids, it's something you need to, to, to take to heart. For he who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Over and over, the Bible instructs us to be generous, to give. 
not just with money. I like to put this in there because no matter, you can say we're all the same, but in the end, some people have this much money and some people have this much money for a variety of different reasons, just the way it is. And so sometimes it's an excuse for those with, too much, with a lot of money saying, well, I've got to take care of all my stuff, therefore I'm not doing anything with my time because I've got to take care of my business. Or it's a, it's a temptation for those who don't have much money to say, I don't have any money, so therefore I can't do anything. And, and what the Bible teaches is that both ends of the spectrum have something to do. And, and in Matthew 25, it's the end of the, of the parable. And Jesus says, The king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And he talked about visiting them and tending to their needs and giving them clothes and food and all these different things. There's a lot of ways with and without money that we can help people. And when we plan to give, you know, you don't think about it. But when I take a job at 17 and say, you know what, I'm just going to do this the rest of my life. And if I need overtime, I'll work some extra hours. I'm going to work. I know I'm going to work 50 or 60 or 70 hours a week because I want all these certain things. But you know what we don't plan for? God expects us to give of our time. <laughs> and we run ourselves out of time. And, and we don't allocate time for these kinds of things. And we get so wrapped up in what we do and how much we have to do that we forget that we need to be generous with our time. Planning to save is another big thing. It's, if you look at the statistics in America, America's debt is here, and the savings rate, if I could reach below the stage, I'd reach down there. We are trained to spend everything we have, plus some, that's why it's so easy to get a loan. <laughs> and not to save anything. That's our nature. That's what the world is set up to be like. And so it makes it real easy for us to fall into that trap. And to hope, you know, maybe I'll get a good inheritance when my parents die. Or something magical will happen. That the publisher's clearinghouse, I don't know if kids even know what that is anymore. That I'll go out to my mailbox and open it one day and... It used to be Ed McMahon for us old people. I don't know who the spokesman is now, that he's going to deliver a check to me. Or maybe, you know, there's all these ways of get rich quick. Ultimately, it's the way to do it. It's guaranteed to work is to save. And I, and I guess I could have given you the, the one-liner and you could have all been done. Spend less money than you make and it'll all work out really good. Spend more money than you make and you may put it off for a while, but sooner or later, <laughs> the debt man comes. And we've all been to some extent and seen that. So my advice is to plan to save. Because someday, as we said before, something's going to break and you've got to pay for it. And someday, if you live long enough, you'll get to enjoy retirement. And money just doesn't magically appear. There's a lot of people here that are living on Social Security and maybe nothing else. And I would guess they would tell you that don't think you're going to get rich on Social Security. When I was young, I said, I probably won't get it anyway, so you better make some other plans. It's still around, but nobody I know is getting rich on Social Security. So just expecting somebody else to take care of you really isn't a very good strategy as well. So plan for these things. Somebody showed me this, actually it was my uncle, uh, when I was about 18, and I didn't really believe it. Well, now, guess what? 
I would say it was 30 years later, but now it's 40 years later. And I can tell you this is true. I used to look at something like this, and what it says is, if I save $5 a day for 10 years, and with the average rate of return, I'm not talking about CDs for 0.1% or now maybe 3%, but in the stock market, in a relatively safe thing, it comes up to $26,000. I was like, man, that's a lot of money. There is no way in the world. And if you go down, the reason I picked $18, $18 a day, that's $540 a month. Seems like a lot of money, but that's the amount that the government will let you put into a retirement plan, an IRA. If you put that much money in and earn the average rate of return that's been true in the stock market since the 20s, in 30 years, so I was 18, now I'm 57, <laughs> you go 40 years, I don't have that much money, but you can see the power because guess what? I didn't follow my own advice. But if you put in $18, $540 a month for that many years, there's how much money you have. It's not magic. It's not left to chance. It's not hoping somebody dies and leaves me land and money. It's tried and true. It works every single time. And I can tell you from the other side that the principle is true. And so if you plan for that, Guess what you can do when you get old? <laughs> You'll have some flexibility and, a, and choices in life to be able to do certain things. And there's a lot of other ways for retirement. There's a lot of people that buy, you know, there's, there's other ways. So I'm not trying to say this is the only way or that there's some magic to it or I've got all the answers. I just know mathematically <laughs> and the way things work out, that's true. And as a kid at 18, I was like, wow. <laughs> but it takes discipline. Because guess what? It takes a lot of money. Some of you got more kids than I ever had. It takes a lot of money to raise kids, right? More now than it did then. And I can put four or five zeros behind each kid back then. Now you can probably put more zeros on what it costs to raise a kid. There's a lot of things I want to do. And it's easy to put something that's 30 years down the road and say, oh, it really doesn't matter. I'll take care of that later. I promise if you do it early and young and make good habits, when you get to be my age, there will be a lot of things you don't have to worry about. Spend less than you make and save it in a reasonably safe thing, and you'll have, when you get old, to be able to give to those that have need. Because remember, the goal is not to pile up money, not to create this big empire that I can hand off to my kids. It's not... So people can look at me and say, look how much he's got. It's to be able to do God's work. And when we are constantly worried about money, young or old, we're hindered in our ability to do God's work. Don't have to be rich. You can do it when you're poor, but it's going to take a certain amount of money. So don't pile it up. We're warned about that in Luke, the rich farmer. He said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. It's a temptation. It's easy to justify, I really need whatever. Next newer car, next newer TV, next it. The scale, next newer phone, go on and on and on. And nothing wrong with any of those things. It becomes a matter of how do we put it in context? Where do we keep our major goal in mind, which is being able to give to those that have need? For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses, the opposite of what we're told in the world. 
Because here's what God said, fool. Strong language. Doesn't use that word very often. We're told not to use that word. <laughs> Don't call our brother a fool. But what he told this rich guy, you're a fool. I mean, I don't drive down the road and look at somebody that's got a huge barn with all sorts of equipment sitting out, know they farm a lot, and go, man, that guy's a fool. <laughs> we generally think, well, he must have it together. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but that's what we generally think. God said if he didn't make preparation to serve God, he was a fool. And he says, you're going to die. <laughs> and then what are you going to do with all that stuff? Who will those things be which you provided? And he says, so are we if we lay up treasure for ourselves and we're not rich toward God. We need to think about it. We need to be rich towards God. So we've talked a little bit about spending and a little bit about spending, a lot about saving and planning. Let's talk a little bit about debt. Because as I alluded to a little bit ago, I'll say it's a crisis in America. Uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist or the woe is me, the world's going to go to pot. But if you look at the numbers and the amount of debt that the United States government has and that people have because they went to college and then just straight consumer debt on credit cards, it's trillions of dollars. It's as much as the whole United States makes in a year or two. It's a lot of money. And you know what? That's all well and good. It makes good politics and they can argue about it on TV. But in the end... When our personal life is ruled by debt, life is miserable. And we talked about avoiding complications. That makes things about as complicated as it gets. It's when you live under a lot of debt. And there's a way to control that. That's the good news. It doesn't have to be that way. Things that it causes. We've heard about being upside down. We owe more money than we've got things that, are, that it's worth. Small things that really are nothing become really big things. You read something periodically, I don't remember the last time I read it, that the average American, maybe 95% of the Americans, don't have enough money that if the transmission goes out in their car and costs them $2,000, they can't pay for it. That's a little thing, really, in the scheme of life, because you know what the median income in, in the United States, maybe not in plain view, but 50% make more, 50% make less, is about $60,000. And to not be able to afford a $2,000 fix on our car. What that says is, hey, they're not planning because guess what's going to happen to all of our cars or whatever? They're all going to break. <laughs> and something that's relatively small and should be expected all of a sudden becomes a big thing. And then it creates a lot of stress and a lot of fussing and a lot of fighting. And most marriage counselors will tell you that maybe not the root of it all, but a big part of nearly every marriage that breaks up is financial problems. And it's not having generally too much money, it's having debt. Because it creates a lot of problems. Credit cards. Now it's not even credit cards, it's all the electronics. It's not real to us if we just push a button and spend it. We'll talk a little bit about unsecured. Basically we spend our money on things we have nothing to show for and we owe a lot of money and have nothing. <laughs> and I'm not saying credit cards can't be useful at times, but here's an example. If you put a $2,500 charge on a credit card like the transmission we talked about and pay just the minimum because I don't have money so I'm just going to scrape and pay the minimum, it really literally takes, if I charge nothing else on my car, it takes eight years to pay that off. For a car that now it's worn out and gone, I don't even have it anymore, right? 
And here's the, the sad thing, is that that $2,500 expense has now turned into a nearly $6,000 expense. Could you imagine, I mean, I go, went to the grocery store and through all this inflation, you go, man, eggs went from $2.19 to, for a time, they were $4, right? That's 50%. And could you imagine paying nearly three times that and doing it by choice? Oh, no, I don't want the $2 eggs. I think I'll just give you $6 for them now. <laughs> That's what we're saying when we put things on credit cards and just keep rolling it forward. You know, logically, in, not in the heat of the moment, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense at all. But that's what happens when we just kind of go with the flow and don't make plans. So be careful for debt. Worry and stress. It causes us to be dishonest with our spouse and other people. Uh, causes people to, to try to hide their sorrows in chemicals and alcohol to not deny reality. And, and here's the sad truth. More money is not the answer to that. <laughs> Maybe for temporary things. We all have you know, medical expenses that pop up and surprise things that you have tried to plan for and can't. But ultimately, it boils down to self-control, spending less money than we make in planning for emergencies. Now, one of the fruits of the Spirit, it's, the fruits of the Spirit are, are conceptual. They're kind of abstract. But I'm a firm believer that all the abstract principles of the Bible have very concrete examples that you can put your finger on. In self-control, there's a lot of things you can say about self-control, but one of the Concrete examples of self-control is I spend less money than I make. It's a learned thing. We would all love to have everything we see. <laughs> but when we learn to live within our means and exhibit the, the fruit of the Spirit of self-control, we'll be blessed by it. I promise you'll be blessed when you spend less money than you make. And that's the answer to debt. Because it puts your life out of control. Proverbs 22 and 7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Contrary to what I was at, I was, we were sitting at breakfast on our Alaskan cruise a few months ago, and about a 12-year-old kid comes over while we're sitting there. We'd been sitting there at the table for a couple hours. He said, are you Dave Ramsey? <laughs> and I said, no, I've really been accused of being Mr. Clean or the Breaking Bad guy more than Dave Ramsey. <laughs> but... This may sound like Dave Ramsey. I know a lot of you listen to him. I, mean, some, I like some of the things he says. I'm not trying to be Dave Ramsey. But this is a truth that the Bible tells us. When we owe money, as much as we like to convince ourselves that I'm in control of myself and I control my fate, when we owe money, guess who we are in control of? <laughs> Whoever we owe money to. Because ultimately it's got to be paid back. And I promise you ask a lot of people who have been in the spot of owing more money than they could pay back. It is miserable. It is miserable. And that concept is very true. The best thing to do is don't get yourself in that pickle. The second best thing is if you're in that pickle, work yourself out of it. Be careful about debt. Romans says this in concept, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Make sure our priority is in the right spot. When we're doing it with service and love, we don't need all the stuff that we go into debt for. Be careful being partners with somebody on a debt. The Bible talks about, in, in the King James language, sure being surety, but it's really being collateral or, or vouching for somebody else's debt. He says in Proverbs 17, a man devoid of understanding. That's another way of saying a fool 
shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend. So my friend wants to borrow money, and I'll say, well, I know he'll pay for it. I'm going to sign, co-sign the loan with him. The Bible says that's a, not a wise thing to do. If you do that, you're vo void of understanding. And, and I wanna, there's a difference in kinds of debt. Because most people can't go pay cash for a house. It costs a lot of money. I don't know what the median price in Plainview is, but it's 150000 say. Most of us don't have that much money sitting around. So we end up having a house loan. It's planned for, and guess what? I know long term that something crazy doesn't happen. I can buy a house, and when I get ready to sell it five years later, ten years later, maybe I'll live there the rest of my life, it's going to be worth more than what I paid for it. I'm going to get it paid off, and I'm going to have something. If something blows up and I have to sell the house, it's worth enough that I can pay my loan back. So I'm not a slave to them. I, I may not like it, but I have a way that, that takes care of it. A car is a step down the road. With a three-year loan, it might be true. I can buy a car, and it's worth what I owe on it. I could sell it and pay it back. I don't know if, if, if you've got a car loan. Most car loans now are seven years. Guess what? The day you drive off the lot with it, it's not worth what you owe, and it never will be. <laughs> And so if something catastrophic happens, guess what? You owe more than, they'll come get your car and you'll still owe money. <laughs> and it's got to be paid back. So you have to be careful, do it wisely. And that's not talking about unsecured. Unsecured means I'm just spending on eating out gas for my car. I don't have anything to show for it. Typically it's on a credit card or Venmo or PayPal. Probably can't sell it. Don't even have it anymore to sell it and pay it off. So I've got three or $4,000 racked up on a credit card and nothing to show for it. And I'll say college debt is in the middle of that, or trade school, or, or business loans. They're all in the mixed category. Well thought out, and with a plan, a college loan, or a trade school loan, or a business loan, can make sense in some cases. I can get to a spot that I've got a plan to pay it back. It's gonna get me to a place where I can make the amount of money I need to. And yeah, maybe for a little while I'm a slave to the, to the tax man or the, the, the lender, but I get to a spot where I'm not. Those are the types of things as a kid you've got to learn. And if you end up, most people, most of consumer debt is unsecured. Billions and trillions of dollars. So what do you do if you find yourself in a pickle? And I know people who've been in this pickle and gotten out. There's hope. May not seem like it when you're in the midst of it, but there's hope. But it takes some things that are hard. Be honest with yourself and realize, you know what? I've got a spending problem. I'm spending way too much money. If you're a, a family or a spouse, have a spouse, we've got a spending problem. You've got to be honest. Money just doesn't fall down from the sky. We got there because we spent more than we made. You've got to recognize that. And then probably the hardest thing, got to stop. <laughs> got to quit doing it. Quit spending more than you make. Develop a plan. That's where counselors can help because what, what you find when people get in pickles like this, and there's a lot of pickles, what we as elders want to do, not in a judgmental way, but in a way to help and help people get through complications, is to help develop a plan. When you're in the heat of the battle and the debt collector's knocking on your door, you can't think straight. When you're in stress like that, been, I've been in stress, not necessarily this, but other stress, and you think you're thinking straight, <laughs> and you look back and go, 
what in the world was I thinking once things kind of settle down? That's where counselors can help develop a plan. Get someone, and when I say account, I think in my mind, this always had kind of a negative comment. They're going to review my check-in account, and they're going to go, oh, well, you shouldn't have spent that. You should have spent this. Oh, you shouldn't have. That's really not what someone like that's for. There's someone to help you bounce ideas off of and help keep you pointed in the right direction. It's not a matter of whacking you when you do wrong or, or letting you go spend more when you do right. It's really trying to get you to a point you recognize it, and when you're tempted to do things you wouldn't, don't fit the plan to help you recognize that. And ultimately, it's about get spending under control. Simple ways. No matter what the car dealer says, no matter how many advertisements are on TV, you can drive an old car <laughs> and get from point A to point B. And guess what? Maybe not. You got to look. There's, there's a lot of ways. Get rid of non-necessities. Temporarily, you might need a second job. That's not a great way long term because guess what then you're out of time and can't serve people and here's just simple ways i don't usually remember what people say about my lessons but i do remember this and it's in a funny way matthew i have never apologized to robert coleman the owner of chicken express <laughs> and he re you remember this probably i talked about chicken express in this example of how we spend money eating out, and I use Chicken Express. If you know, you can spend 50 or 60, now maybe $80 eating out with the family. And guess what you have when it's over? Nothing. Your stomach's full. And you probably could have eaten at home for a third. That's not free to eat at home, but it's a whole lot cheaper. And so I don't know if Matthew's ever gone back to Chicken Express. I may have scarred him for life. But the concept is not to not go there. But to think about and be mindful of how we spend our money, it's very easy. And we convince ourselves, oh, it's a lot cheaper to eat out. Now, if we don't be mindful of how we spend our money with groceries, there's a way to spend a lot of money on groceries, but there's, there's cheaper ways. But ultimately, there are a lot of little things that make big things. And if we can get those thought about, extra trips to Lubbock. Who thinks about driving to Lubbock? Well... $20 for gas, but really it's more like $50 or $60 of wear and tear on your car back and forth. Uh, it's easy just to suck those in and just happen, and we wonder where, you know, we make three or four trips to Lubbock, where that extra two or $300 a month went. Easy for that to happen. Keep an older car and drive a new car. I used a $20,000 car. That may be a cheap car now, but at five years, it's typically a loan, $4 and $15 a month. Time you pay insurance, instead of $20,000, you've paid $31,000. Get an old car, and I promise there, are five, there may not be nice. There are $5,000 cars around. May not like it, but it may be what we need to do. Ultimately, you can save over $5,000 a year by driving an old car, because guess what? I can put together $5,000 and not owe a loan. Paying cash has got a lot of good, good uh, things. Insurance can be different and save a lot of money. And guess what? In the end... The old car gets you from point A to point B just as well as, what now, a $75,000 car, $95,000 gets you from point A to point B. I'm not saying it's not nicer, that I don't like all the doodads and leather seats are really cool, all that stuff. But in the end, if you spend more than you make, a leather seat's not going to help you when the stress all hits your marriage or a fancy navigation system or sound, you know, all the stuff. And so these are examples. They're not the gospel. They're not, well, here's the formula. It's to get you to think about it. Cable. 
extra cell phones, extra fast internet, subscriptions, Netflix, Amazon Prime, man, all the different things of ways it's easy to spend money. All those you have, we have to look at. Nothing wrong with any of them. You can save a lot of money. You can have a lot of convenience. But ultimately, be careful that non-necessities don't make your life miserable. Eating out. Put a question mark on that because eating out's a huge expense. I mean, now it's easy to spend 120 bucks, just like that, for a meal that would cost 20 at home. Second jobs. But here's ultimately more money's not the answer. Self-control is the answer. The Bible is clear about money and a lot of other things. We need to develop self-control. Really try to be objective as hard as it is. Get counselors to help you, people that you trust. I promise everybody that's old has seen the ups and downs of some of this stuff as well. If we get this under control, we can serve God a lot better. Not just with what we give, but in the freedom that we have and the mindset that we have to be able to serve God and other people. It'll uncomplicate your life and give you a happier life. Contrary to what everybody says, if you buy more and have more, you'll be happier. You really will be happier when you spend less than you make. Think about where your treasure is. The Bible says where our treasure is, what we really, really, really value, that's where our heart, that's where our effort, that's where our mind and our attention is going to be. We want our treasure to be in heaven. And if we do that, we can get our money and all the things that we got to do in the right place. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I hope you've enjoyed the study this morning. I hope it's given you some things to think about. If it's something you struggle with, there's no magic answer, but I promise there's people that can give you guidance. And I encourage you to, to take advantage of that. We haven't spoken on the first principles, but if you've been taught and would like to be baptized we always make that opportunity available. If there's another need in your life and you'd like prayers, please come while we stand and sing.